I'm just mm -hmm. dead set on it. So we're not going to hire an OC. It's not going to be allowed anyway. And even if we do, who the heck are we going to allow? And who's going to have the quote-unquote experience that you'd want somebody who's going to be calling plays at this point? Yeah, these are all great points. And I mean, I, I've wanted one mainly just because of watching the film. Like we talked about last week, it shouldn't take until two and a half minutes left in the fourth quarter against a team that's playing primarily cover three and cover four to throw a seam route, you know? And I don't know if O'Brien just sees these things late or being on the sideline hinders his, his eyesight to be able to see, you know, coverages and things like that developer. You know, what's going on with him? But uh, it shouldn't take so long to make the adjustments he makes. And he shouldn't be as conservative as he is to try to do the bare minimum to win games and those sorts of things too. And as of right now, like, I don't know, like I'm not expecting anything from him. I would like to see an offensive coordinator. Uh, I don't think it's going to happen. And actually, I can just kind of say it's not going to happen. It's going to be this again next year, and hopefully it's better. Hopefully, you know, Will Fuller's healthy and they do things offensive line to improve it. Uh, hopefully they get, like, a second, you know, wide receiver as insurance policy for Will Fuller instead of having to make a trade out, you know, week seven or whatever was last year for Dem Demarius Thomas, too. But that's all hopeful stuff. Uh, we'll have to see what happens, you know, nine months from now. But at the moment, I would like to see the offensive coordinator, but there's really no way it's going to happen. No, and it, I just – who I mean, even at this point, I would say I, there's nobody out there I'd be comfortable even turning over the reins to. You know, yeah. even as much as I don't want Bill O'Brien to be that. And it's really funny because, I mean, I'm talking, you know, the people who have been masking me this the most lately, I haven't really been out much this week, so it's been neighbors. It's been my Bears fan neighbor. It's been my Saints <laughs> fan neighbor. It has not been Texans fans. It has been just kind of more casual fans of the team or, you know, random people texting me. And, and asking me that question. And it's like, it's really funny how, like, even the outsiders realize that Bill O'Brien is not a good offensive coordinator at this point. Yeah, yeah. The one solace that's taking, taking the fact that no changes are being made is that the Texans aren't getting a new special teams coordinator for, in, like, what feels like forever that has happened. And so they're going to keep the same guy. I should know who this guy is because he did a great job last year. And also, you know, it's amazing what happens when Shane Leckler is your punter as well, too how much various special teams can improve as well. But, yeah, it's nice to know that they're going to stick with their offensive coordinator for you know, more than more than a season, more than two seasons probably because the special teams was actually one of the strengths of the team last year. Matt, don't believe the advanced stats on Shane Leckler. Don't believe the normal stats. Don't believe any stats about Shane Leckler. He's the all-time best punter in Texans history. Yeah, yeah, because yards per punt really doesn't matter whenever you're just kicking the ball as far as you can with no, no thought taking into account of everybody else in your team, that sort of thing. Uh, for me, I don't really have anything new at all with the Texans. Uh, the biggest thing I've been thinking about, though, is just the, the upcoming free agency class. So you mentioned it's bad. I still think it's too early to tell how bad it's going to be or how good it's going to be because there's going to be a lot of cuts and those sorts of things are going to happen. Or guys like Malik Jackson will be free agents. And uh, those sort of things that happen every year where you know, bad teams with big contracts get out of them. Uh, you know, they'll pay a little bit of dead money and uh, free up some space as well, too. Also, I think one of the things we're going to see a lot this offseason are teams like Houston who, even if they can't go out and sign the guys that want to sign, but if they have like an extra second-round pick like Houston has or Indy has uh, and a bunch of cap space, they'll probably actually go out and make trades for veteran players on higher salary contracts where they can take on the space, uh, get a potential Pro Bowl player, and only give up you know, a second- or third-round pick for it because they're a team that's looking to you know win right now at this very moment. So. I think you're, we're going to see a lot of those sorts of trades this year, especially considering to the trade deadline where Eli Apple was traded, where Demarius Thomas was traded, 
where uh, there's a, a lot of other players traded that I'm blanking on right now. But I remember it. I was there for it. So that's the other thing I think we're going to see a lot of this offseason, too. Uh, and you, you say that, but yet the funny thing is about the NFL, it's not really a trading league. And that has always shocked me and surprised me because it kind of doesn't make any sense to me either. Like, if I'm an NFL GM, that to me, that's your money ball. That's your market inefficiency. That there's not a lot of trading that goes on in the NFL. Why aren't you exploiting that? Why aren't you the one going out and making these trades? Because how many times have you been shocked? Like, oh, my God, they got a six-round pick for that guy? Yeah. And, like, Demarius Thomas. I mean, they got – we gave up what a – I think it was a fourth. Yeah, mm-hmm. a fourth. You know, that's – why aren't you trading your fourth-round picks, which are uh, lottery picks anyway in the draft, and going out and getting a guy with two years left on his contract who has a year or two left? I'd be yeah. doing that all freaking day. Mm-hmm. No, and I mean, I, I think it's going to happen uh, this year. I know like, the trades don't happen all that often. But also like, with what the Eagles did a year before this when they won their Super Bowl by making a bunch of trades to take on veteran players. I think that kind of like helps spurt some. We saw more trades this past trade, this past trade deadline too. And so I think that trend's going to continue. We'll see even more this offseason. And, you know, nobody does it, they should, because I think it's a good opportunity for teams, you know, like India that's going to have $100 plus million in cap space. And Houston with maybe $85 million in cap space if they release Marius Thomas and Kevin Johnson, where there are going to be players available out there that they could bring on the roster through those means instead of just, uh, you know, scrap around looking at Ronald Darby and those sorts of things. Yeah, I, I would like to see that, especially with what, and, and you know, Matt did all the disclaimers, what the free agent classes or class currently looks like and where we need help. Our biggest hope it really is for guys to get cut, mm-hmm. trades, those sorts of things. Yeah, I'm, I'm really hoping for Lake Jackson, too, right now. And also, I would still call Jackson, too. Like, hey, we'll give you a first-round pick and a second-round pick. And uh, what else you want for Jalen Ramsey as well? Not only because it would make them, like, like make the team so much better, but it'd just be – I think the team of Jadavion Clowney and Jalen Ramsey would just be, like, I just a ton of fun to watch every week, too. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> and he likes Deshaun Watson also. You can't forget that part of it as well. Yeah, he respects him. That's for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so we have one listener question tonight, or reader question, whatever you want to call yourself, commenter, whatever you want to call yourself, and it's from Shinzon, I hope I said that right, and so he said, here's the question, or here's the question is what he said, actually, will there be a change at the O-line coach, should there be a change, if so, why, who would you recommend to Coach O'Brien? Uh, number one, I don't think there's going to be a change, I think if we're talking about a guy the problem is, part of the problem is, is that some of the better offensive line coaches have a real specialty. So they're either like ZBS guys, like, oh my God, I cannot me- remember the dude's name. Matt, the guy that we used to have, he's going with QB uh, to Minnesota. <sighs> Crikey, I cannot remember his name. Yeah, I don't know. I know, you ta- I know who you're talking about, but I don't know. Yeah, so, I mean, you're talking, th- those types of guys – usually have a specialty and here's the problem with Bill O'Brien's offense is that he doesn't really have a specialty. He, it, he, it, it, it's, it's, it reminds me of a line from the movie, the hunt for red October where the one character says the Russians even have a plan when they take a dump. Mm-hmm. And I don't see that with Bill O'Brien's offense. Like ever. I don't see a plan. I don't see a scheme. I don't see a system. And so I don't know who you bring in that can improve that. But the whole thing with the way they jerked around Davenport and Rankin early in the season was so beyond stupid. You don't do that during the regular season. So uh, 
yeah, I, I don't know who you can bring in. I just don't. Yeah, I mean, I don't – I can't give any advice on who I would bring in, but I remember about this last offseason even that I want to see somebody else come in as the offensive line coach because the Texans let go of Bram Brooks. He became a you know, back-to-back Pro Bowl player. They let go uh, – they didn't they – didn't, they decided not to re-sign Ben Jones as well too. He's much better in Tennessee. He went from average to good in Tennessee, which isn't like – he's not the fifth-best center of football, but he's one of the better ones, and he was just mediocre in Houston. And he saw – improvement and also how much of this just kind of happens over guys from the second contract I can't say but it's just kind of what has happened uh, every offensive line they draft every offensive line they've drafted hasn't really developed here you know Julian Davenport played okay you know this year especially considering moving from right to left and those sorts of things uh, Martinez Rankin had a rough year but he did have an entire training camp he went from left tackle to you know right guard to left guard and they didn't know exactly what to do with him at all uh, but even like Xavier Sufio never learned how to use his hands. He was their second round pick in 2014. Then you, the only two young offensive linemen that developed it all was Greg Manks, who's you know pretty good. He could probably start a different team. And Kendall Lamb, who went to you know slightly incompetent, which is a big jump from where he was before. But overall, like everybody that that's left has gotten better. And I would even put Xavier Sufio in that. He played much better in Dallas. He played in Houston last year. And then the guys they drafted haven't done that well. And then also on top of that, everybody they bring in has been worse here. As Zach Fulton had Pro Bowl potential in Kansas City. He was very mediocre uh, this year. He didn't do anything very well at all. He was just kind of there and you know, pretty okay. He wasn't a net negative, but he wasn't really that much of a positive at all either. Asenio Calamente was worse here than he was in New Orleans last year. His hands are still a problem, but even like his footwork and stuff wasn't as good. And then you have Jeff Allen, he released, is starting at left guard for Kansas City in a playoff run. And is actually, like, playable. Like, he's starting games, and you're not seeing him whiff whenever you see him playing give him sacks. So, the whole thing is just, like, an incomprehensible mess. I don't know what it is or why it is. All I know is that the offensive line struggles in doing the first level, blocking the second level. They each have their own uh, issues in pass protection as far as one, one versus one blocks. The Texans have been bad picking up blitzes for – in the past two years or so as well, too. And like the only guy you can point to is Mike Devlin, who's been the offensive line coach here for you know, three years now. And nobody's gotten better. Everything's gotten worse. And uh, the last time the Texans had a great offensive line was 2015, when it was the strength of their offense. And Brian Hoyer was the quarterback. And now they don't even have that. And, and that hasn't been there at all whatsoever, regardless of how much you said they invest and didn't invest all either. So I don't know. I don't know who should be it. I just know Mike Devlin's in the answer. I probably would have gave Mike Munchak like $5 million a year to come here uh, because whatever whatever's going on there, I can't say why it's not working, but it has been working. And, yeah, I, the Texans ship on Mike, Mike Devlin. But then they already announced that they're not making these changes to the coaching staff this offseason and what they're going to have is going to be here. But, yeah, it's been bad since he's been hired, and he's the only person I can really point to for being alive. Yeah. It, it, I, I just want to know. I still seriously want to know who the hell was jerking around Davenport. Was that Bill? Was that Devlin? I want to know. I want answers to these questions, damn it. Yeah, it's weird, too, because, like, Rankin played right tackle in, you know, in that Dallas preseason in the first one he played. Sean Shaw Henderson goes down. And, like, you have to have an idea who your third tackle is going to be, what you're going to do about it. And moving, you know, down forward to right wasn't the answer. And also keeping that arrangement for three weeks and just getting destroyed by it uh, wasn't the answer as well either. And then they kind of settled on – the answer is Rankin at left and then Lamb at right and then became Davenport at left. And these are all like pretty elementary elementary things for anybody who's watched the team watch with these players that 
you know, that wasn't the right answer. It was a bad way to do it. And it turned out, you know, it was just a bad way to begin with, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Poor Deshaun Watson just got sacked even thinking about his offensive lineman. Hey, only 62 times though. But I would, I would, you know, I could probably go through and chart all of them and be like, yeah, like 35 of them are because of the offensive line. But I would guess probably at least 20 were because of either him or the tight ends or uh, either running backs missing blocks as well too. Like overall, it was just a complete mess of pass protection. Yeah, I've got to agree with that. There, there's He has a lot of responsibility for some of those sacks. The scheme has a lot of responsibility for some of those sacks. The fact that the first it took us eight games to chip to help out our linemen mm-hmm. exacerbated that fact. There, there's a lot behind it. And, yeah, and, again, just kind of repeating what we said last week, I am, I am going to be happy going into 2019 with, with this group of guys. I'd rather have this group of guys than some other people we've seen on the team because I think they're going to get much better in year two. Yeah, and I, I mean, I've been still, I've been basing with the offensive line this offseason. It's just to get competition, so get an extra tackle, uh, get an extra guard, you know, even even have Banks compete with Martin. So just go in a situation where nobody's safe, but you at least have, like, talent here in a collection of guys that you, you kind of sort of like. But I wouldn't go out and spend, you know, $10 million on, on a left tackle this year or something like that either. Yeah, so, so uh, Rick Dennison is the guy whose name I couldn't remember, so there you go. Got it, got it. And also, the secondary is more important, too. So, anyways, let's talk some actual real football because there's still football, and there was some more of it last weekend. So, we'll start with the AFC. The Colts lost 31-13 to Kansas City, and the Colts went down 17-0 right away to start this game. They gave up two touchdown drives. They went three and out on their first three drives, and they had the pump block, and they did have a first down. So, I believe it was like 2.30 left in the second quarter. Uh, until they actually had their first first down of the game, which is, I mean, it's pretty inc- it's pretty incredible, especially when you consider that the Chiefs' defense is one of the worst defenses in the league. And so I feel like everything terrible that could happen to the Colts happened in this game. I feel like everything that couldn't happen to them happened in this game for them to win. Uh, what do you kind of feel about this game you know, overall? Well, I think for all the shiza that the Chiefs' defense takes, and it deserves all of it, there's a really big disconnect in, in their actual performance by DVOA. So the team is 12th against the pass and 30 seconds against the rush. When you stop and think about it, now Alan Bailey's not the same guy he was. Alan Bailey was one of the best defensive ends against the run for, for several years before he started struggling with injuries. He's not bad. He's still not bad against the run. Chris Jones is still is a very, very good player, especially getting to the quarterback from the interior where he spent a lot of time. I think he was better than J.J. Watt this year too. It, yeah, boy, and it's really – I don't even want to get into that because I don't want to have to disagree or agree with you on that. But um, Justin Houston is not bad. D4 is not bad against the run. So really what it was is their other linebackers, their middle linebackers kind of suck. So we kind of look at – really bad. I know, like, yeah. everybody in Kansas City was super excited when they signed him. was like, no, he's terrible. You're a bunch of – you're being a bunch of dumb fans. Ragland's slow and bad, and you're excited for him because your other option was Derek Johnson, you know. Who, who is 84 years old this year, and he's still probably a better football player than Raglan was. <laughs> mm-hmm. And he tore his Achilles in that Tennessee game, too. And I can't believe oh. he was a week one star linebacker for Oakland this year, too. And then they cut him after, like, two weeks because he just couldn't do it. He couldn't do it. So I got a friend of mine who hates the Longhorns and still says that Derek Johnson's the best high, high school player he's ever seen. He had, like, 30 tackles in a game. Yeah. What high school did he go to? Uh, somewhere near Waco That's all I can remember off the top of my head. Gotcha. Yeah. So, so if you look at the Chiefs' defense, it's really – they're pretty good against the pass. 
and they're not so good against the run. But what happened on Sunday was the, is the Chiefs or the Colts fell back so early they were forced to put the ball up, and it just it, they were playing more into what the Chiefs' strength is rather than trying to run the ball. And I was one, yeah, I was starting to mention that even the Bills cut Raglan. <laughs> yeah. Well, the Bills had, like, what, the third best defense by DVOA this year? Something like that. They're way up there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's like – so, I, I'm in these drives here. So, their first drive, they went – Ryan Moali-Cox couldn't block D4 on the backside. Uh, they ran for two. Then Eric Ebron dropped the first down. Now they're down 7-0. Their second drive, uh, Chris Jones bull rush deflected a pass against Quentin Nelson. The second down, Justin Houston had a pass deflected on a screen. Third down, Luck steps up away from pressure. He runs out of bounds, and the pass is deflected. Their third drive, outside zone, they gain, they lose six yards. Second down, quick screen, Dontrell Inman. Third and six, uh, Eric Ebron is covered, and he has to throw the ball away, they punt. And then they're down 24-7, and that was when they had the, the block punt, of course, as well, too. But, like, yeah, I mean, it wasn't even that. It was weird because they went to that run-run pass offense. I feel like they, they should have, like, throwing the ball downfield to start off a little bit to kind of open up the pass. And also, like, the run blocking, I don't think, was bad at all. I think they were just going to be on the backside by D. Ford, and they weren't sealing him off, and he was able to run and chase backside and, like, stop seven-yard runs for four yards, and all of a sudden you're in third and third and four, and if you don't convert that pass, you know, you're punting, and then all of a sudden you're down big. And so, like, overall, like, I think the game started exactly how Indy couldn't let it start out, where you're, you give the ball to Kansas City right away multiple times, or you're down 14-0. And, like, it was kind of it after that point, you know? Yeah, and I, I like the fact that you mentioned specifically that they weren't sealing off the edge rushers. And I think that's, to me, what especially effective in the first half of the game, how they were stopping the run is they weren't sealing off for They weren't sealing off Houston. And they were able to come around the corner where Chris Jones and Alan Bailey were creating enough closure. We were able to stack up the tackles, stack up blockers, and stack up the running back to allow those guys to come around the corner and make plays. Mm-hmm. And I think that was a huge, huge difference in the game. Yeah. Yeah. And, I mean, I don't know. Like, it was just – it was such a weird game. Also, I have a Booger McFarland Galaxy brain tank here. Uh, and it's that – I think the fake the, – the pump block touchdown hurt Indy's chances to win this game because they were down, you know, 17-0. They blocked the punt and recover. And then their defense has to go back on the field immediately. The offense doesn't get another chance to you know, move the ball downfield, have a good drive of their own finally after being you know, out, of, out of rhythm for the entire game. And then the Colts come back with the ball. Now it's 17-7. They score immediately. It's 24-7. And the defense is right back out there. Whereas if they punt, they score, you know, maybe they get 17-7 on, your, on their own. They get a stop. The defense you know, gets a little bit of time to breathe and that sort of thing. I think maybe it could go a little bit different as well, too. But that's my Booger McFarland. Uh, it's bad to hit home runs. The base is low because it kills the rally. Sort of thought right there after watching this game. So are you like the, the, the president of the Booger McFarland fan club? I'm just curious. No, the Booger McFarland tank club. It's not a fan oh. club. It's a tank club. It's, a, it's the Galaxy Brain uh, thinking group take. <laughs> awesome. Outstanding, Big Matt. Um. Yeah, and, and so the other thing that really hurt Indy's offense was that Chris Jones was really good this game. He had three passes deflected. Justin Houston was really good this game. He had a sack. Uh, D4 was really good this game. He had a strip sack. And, like, those are Kansas City's three great defensive players. Uh, Justin Houston, I know, doesn't have the big numbers because he was hurt for most of the year. 
but he's full. He looks. He's not like healthy like he was three years ago, but he's as healthy as he can be right now at this point in time. I'm not sure they can cover a little bit on the back end, but it's primarily those three guys. And they ate them alive. Or no, I wouldn't say ate them alive, but they had a really good game. All three of them did. I like the Texans, you know, big three the week before. And that also really kind of stopped the Colts offense. Um, who do you think had the best game of the three? Yeah, you know, it was Chris Jones for me. I am so man-crushing on that dude. Uh, I loved him in college. Uh, UT played against him, and he was a monster against us. And I just man-crushed on him since that game. He is – the dude is like – I want to look it up. I seriously want to look it up because he's got, he's like six, seven and he looks like he's about two ninety, and he looks like about the biggest, strongest and least fat two ninety six seven two ninety You can possibly be. He's a scary looking dude, Matt. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, this entire game, he was just matched up against the guards and he just bull rushed and was able to flex some passes out of the air. Uh, the, the other thing that I liked seeing D Ford speed rush against Brian Smith, because I didn't think that was possible after watching J.J. Wide try to speed rush against Brain Smith, you know, twice this year, he had zero success doing so. But Brain Smith, he's really fast. He can bend. It's like watching Von Miller in a way. And then also seeing Justin Houston get a sack against Mark Lewinsky, I really wore my heart because, like we talked about in the preview of that game, that Glowinsky was the worst pass-blocking offensive lineman for the Colts and the Texans needs to exploit that matchup. They didn't all whatsoever. And here you have Kansas City putting Justin Houston uh, as the three-technique rusher against Glowinsky. He uses his hands, gets a sack, uh, you know, which actually was a was a stop on third down and kind of like was one of the other killers as the Colts tried to pump some garbage time points or whatever, make the same closer than it actually was. But anyways, you know, there were options for Houston to attack in these offensive line. They just didn't do a good job doing it at all. So I've got a question for you. After watching this game, I've got a question for you. So D Ford had 13 sacks this season. And in his career combined before this game, he had 17 and a half sacks in the other four seasons. So he's in his walk year. He's in his contract year. He's walking. Would you sign this guy? He's turning 28 this year. So he's not only is he – he's an old prospect at that. He's an older dude. Do you sign him to a bigger contract or do you let him – do you think he can repeat? Uh, I'll have to see what kind – of, I actually looked at the rest of his numbers. I think he was – a second in pressures this year as well, too, behind Aaron Donald. I think he – actually, have, I have all the numbers right here. Why am I speaking like that? Uh, so, D Ford, he had 13 sacks, 12 quarterback hits, 49 and a half pressures. Chris Jones had 15 and a half sacks, 29 quarterback hits, and 35 pressures. And actually, I, I said that wrong. D Ford, I think, had – I did something wrong here. But, anyways, he had a lot of pressures. He had, like – I think he was, like, third or fourth. I know it was Aaron Donald and J.J. Watt and I did. Uh, yeah, I'd be four, signed before, mainly because the Texans do have the cap space, and they need, like, a, a pure edge rusher like that. And any, any situation that keeps Shadavia and Clowney primarily defensive end is a better situation for Houston to be in. And they just – also, Houston doesn't know how to use Whitney Merciless at all anymore. So, why keep on the team if you're going to be using him as, like, a weak side linebacker and those sorts of things. Yeah. Okay, I, I was just curious. I, I wouldn't touch him with the ten foot Paul. He was coming. He came off a, I think it was an ACL injury, injury when he got drafted, and so it kind of excuses his rookie season. But the dude was almost really ineffective for most of his career until this year. Yeah, even then, like I have to go back and look at the the previous four years before because sacks, you know, say a little bit because disruption is more important. That's kind of more the end result of having. You know, consistent rush as well, too. But, I mean, I liked what I saw from him a lot this year. And 
I mean, he's like, he's a pure you know, speed rusher, and he's really good chasing from the backside as well, too. And the Texans wish they, they play like they have speed rushers, but they don't. Yeah, and I guess in fairness, and I'll be fair, in fairness, he was playing behind Tom Bahali a lot, too. Yeah, the start of his career. I forgot about him. Him and Houston were, like, wild good in, like, 2015 and 2016. Yeah. You know, oh, oh, so long ago. And also, I think this game, too, with the, with the Colts, you know, the things that they had to do to win this game was win the turnover battle. They did do that. They had to not allow lucky pressure. They didn't do that. They had to survive the Kansas City onslaught, which happened immediately start this game. They kind of sort of did that. Uh, they needed also Andy Reid to make some really big, dumb mistakes. They needed the Kansas City ghost to come haunting, haunting Kansas City. That didn't happen either. And also, Andy Reid was, like, super aggressive in this game. He went for a fourth down three times. He converted a fourth and four, like a fourth and three, I believe. And, like, that's not Andy Reid. He went for a fourth down three times. This game converted three of them. And, like, he, he used to not do that at all. And so are you excited about the Chiefs now this postseason, even with the Andy Reid coach team, to actually do something more than one, one playoff game uh, with everything else that they have? I think this is their year. I mean, there's just something magical about this season for the Chiefs. I just, you know, sometimes it's just the gut feel. And, and but, I, I mean, I wouldn't want to play this Chiefs team. That's for damn sure. I don't, if I'm New England, this is the last game I want to play. I want to go into Kansas City and play the Chiefs and have to eat the crappy Kansas City food. I wouldn't want that. <laughs> well, I think there's, there's been lots of years for Kansas City with Patrick Mahomes. And, you know, this is his Ben Simmons rookie year sort of thing. And I think also one of the things that happened going into last week's game, a lot of people were picking the Colts to win, that sort of thing. And I think the reason why was because the Chiefs, the last big game they played was against Seattle. They lost in Seattle. But for, like, the last, like, six weeks of the year, they kind of had the number one seed locked up. They just kind of were hanging out, doing just enough for whatever to get through. It's a long season. You get tired. And it's hard to be, you know, like 12-1, and, you know, and 12-2, and, and have a record with that and keep it going the way they did. Also having the bye kind of take away from that too. But like, don't forget, the Chiefs had a pass offense DVOA of 63% this year. It, they had an all-time great passing offense. They have an all-time great passing offense. I, I can keep saying that. And so like, no matter as, how bad their run defense is, their run defense, the issue with that is it just extends games and it gives the other teams chances to come back and play. But whenever you're scoring 45 points, you know, it doesn't matter all that much. Also, I kind of like the – well, I like most of the Chiefs team too because that's kind of Andy Reid proof in a way, where Andy Reid doesn't have to worry about making bad late-game decisions when they're up by 14 and 17 every single game because of how good Patrick Mahomes is too. So, yeah, I'm, I'm glad they're here. They were you know, the best team they have seen this year. And, again, this is an all-time great passing offense, and Patrick Mahomes is absolutely absurd. Text my son. I didn't want to type in the mic. Um, 63% is a really big number, everybody, so let's keep that in perspective. <laughs> Yeah, I don't think I've seen a, a oh, number oh. that high before. I had one other thing I wanted to add to that is, is as rapidly and as quickly as this offense scored, that also skewed Kansas City's defensive numbers because they were seeing that many more drives against them. So there's a little context that needs to be involved in that as well. Why Kansas City's defense is so quote-unquote bad? Well, the way the Chiefs put up the offense with you know Tyree Kill with a 60-yard touchdown, the defense was back out there pretty quickly, pretty often. Yeah, I think that says a lot about their first down numbers by giving up the most first downs of all time. But their run defense is one of the worst run defenses ever. Even they were 32nd last year. Uh, Derrick Henry, you know, put up like 17 points in a row on them or 21 points in a row on them to be the postseason last year. They were once again 32nd DVOA this year. They were giving up, I think, 5.1 yards in attempt 
uh, on defense this year. So make no mistake, this is a terrible run defense. But, yeah, I think their pass defense is a little bit better than they get credit for, mainly because, you know, those three guys are, are as good as they are. Uh, also, the last thing I want to bring up in this game, so Frank Reich, the Colts are down you know, 24-7. They're driving. They have the ball at Kansas City's, I think, eight-yard line, I believe. And they have eight seconds left. And the first play they run, and they have zero timeouts. They throw a fade to Mo Alley-Cox. Uh, Cox was, like, open, and, like, he was a lot bigger than the quarterback, but it didn't seem like he was really ready for it. And he gave, like, a really, like, listless, you know, half-hearted effort to make that catch. They have four seconds left. They get 24-7. They're in Kansas City. The football game is not operating a vacuum. The Chiefs are going to get the ball again. They're going to get the ball probably four or five times. They're going to score more points again. And they opt to kick the field goal instead. <laughs> at that point, it was like, yeah, let's turn this off. It's over. They're not, they need to score a touchdown here at a minimum. And so they kicked the field goal. And, you know, Karma, you know, awarded them with the unmilitary, you know, missed field goal off in the snow. So that was good. I'm glad that happened. Frank Reich was very dumb for not going for in that situation. And he really needs like an actual touchdown there to actually come back into this game. I'm so happy you mentioned Mo Ali Cox's half-assed effort on that play because I, when I watched that, I was like, was Cox even Ali Cox? Was he even trying? Did he even care? This was a playoff game. I just, I, yeah. So that's why you saw the reaction that I had. That that was pathetically hilarious. Yeah, he was like a like a like a high school student on a smoke break, you know, just too cool, didn't care, jinko <laughs> jeans, uh, a wallet chain, you know. Yeah, truly. Uh, so, is there anything you want to talk about from this game at all? Any other big thoughts? No, I think we've killed this game dead. All right, so the next game we're gonna we're gonna talk about are is the other AFC game where the Los Angeles Chargers were outplayed, outcoached, outhit, uh, outlast. I can't remember what the survivor motto is some like outplay out out something out something else that was the charges this game against the patriots they were down 35 seven at halftime they lost four to 128 and like yeah like there was some some kind of bad circumstances to happen for them to go down 35 seven it was 21 seven they finally got third down stop and there was like a really weak defensive holding penalty a lot of the patriots continue their drive and at that point they were able to make it uh 28 to seven and then the chart the charges were able to pump the next drive and then King fumbled the punt. The Patriots got the ball. They scored again. They got thirty-five-seven for the half. Like it was over at twenty-one-seven, but it made it even worse. So my first question for you is: Did the Chargers do a single thing well this game at all? Uh, you know, when I saw this question, I, I I can't really think of anything they did well. I mean, King is. I'm glad you brought up King because he was he's an all-pro corner this year. He, he played very well all year, and he muffed that punt. I think that muffed punt really – that was incredibly demoralizing for the team. Um, I, I, they were already struggling, and that was just like the fork that, that was stuck in them, and they were done at that point. So I don't think they really did anything well. I mean, they even got injured. Yeah, I, I didn't see one of them did well at all. And I was really amazed by it because the Chargers were the, the most balanced team in football this year. They were better than the Patriots all year long. Uh, they were actually good in late and close game situations for probably the first time in franchise history. They actually won one possession games this year. It's like this is, I think that they were 8-1 uh, and one on the road this year. And so this game, they were 8-0 and outside the, the state of California. And so like, I bought into it. I fell in love 
I uh, I didn't think with it with my big smart brain. I used the my heart instead and was completely hurt by it. But they should have played better, and they didn't. And the coaching staff, I was kind of unbelievable, just like all the dumb things they did. On offense, the Patriots kept big blitzing, and they didn't keep him by in a blitz to protect. They didn't keep their back in and protect. They didn't max protect at all. They didn't really run like a good quick game at all. It was still like a lot of posts and sorts of things where Rivers just throw off his back foot after getting hit. They didn't you know, run any screens and mitigate the pressure. Uh, nothing at all to really help them. And then on defense, they just sat in that same zone over and over again, and they rushed four, and they didn't get pressure with their four. And so you have Tom Brady just sitting back there, throwing quick passes. He's finally the open guy. They rent, And the Chargers also don't have a very good interior run defense. So Brady's facing, you know, if it's third down, it's third and three, and he's making a six-yard pass, and it's first down immediately. And it was just it was just nauseating to watch. I think I saw some stat that James White had 15 targets and zero carries in this game as a running back. And it kind of sums up just like what the Patriots offensively whenever they went up 21-7 like they did. <laughs> yeah, uh, and I think uh, Tony Romo called that game, right, if I remember yeah. correctly. And I thought he did a really good job. So I think two things happened also to the Chargers. I think losing Adrian Phillips was kind of a big deal. I don't only say that as a UT homer because, of course, I am. But Adrian Phillips is also a guy who can play against run very effectively. And when they lost him early, I think that took a big chunk out of him. So that left them shorthanded in the secondary. And also, as, as Romo went over time and time again, and it's what I kept seeing, too, so I'm, I was glad to see a little similarity there, is that they were, the Patriots was just out-bigging out the Chargers all game. They were just putting bigger bodies on smaller bodies all game. And – they also had the skill, the James White, the Sonny Michelle, uh, Corderell Patterson type athletes to be able to do some damage even against the smaller guys too. So I, it was just such a mitch, mismatch from that pure strategical perspective, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I even thought the Chargers' run defense would be better this game uh, just because Bram Ebane was back and he's your 3-4, you know, he's their defensive end. And he's a great run defender. He's super round and he had that heartbreaking thing where his daughter passed away. And, you know, just, like, having him back on the field, I thought it was going to make a much bigger difference in the run defense because how good run defender he is. And it didn't even matter at all. But the page, that's one of the things I think that's most – I mean, not, not one of the things I think. One of the most underrated things about the Patriots is their power run game. They run power really well. They run lead really well. Uh, Devlin's the best – I would say he's the best blocking fullback that is in the league. He's one of the rare few. And he never misses a block. He makes every block that he has. He devours linebackers. Gronk had a great game blocking, too. And, I mean, they just ran all over uh, San Diego at the same time. Average old Brady, you know, dinking dump offs and had the ball that you have. And then the other end where Rivers was like, he just kept throwing his back foot of pressure. And it was just a mess of a game. And it's a game that I was so excited for. I was wait, I was hoping for this game during the regular season two, whenever the playoff matchups started kind of come around. And we got it, and it was a, a travesty, and it was terrible and miserable. I got nothing to add to that because I, I don't want the Patriots in the playoffs anymore. <laughs> yeah, and I know I wrote week 12 when I did my power rankings thing where I was like, the Patriots have you know, seven skilled players all complement each other. Uh, they're going to be in the, they're gonna be in the Super Bowl or whatever. And I'm mad that I wrote that. And I I, doubled, I you know backed off of it as they started playing you know, poorly down the stretch because this is the worst Patriots team since 2007. And it doesn't even matter now. And I thought they would probably be, you know, a second round. I thought they were going to lose to Los Angeles entering this game. That was wrong. 
of course, because it's the Patriots, they're just going to be the AFC title game. And, uh, and I'll be dead before they are in the AFC title game. It's just going to keep happening every year over and over again. Tom Brady is like 41 or two years old or something. I can't remember off the top of my head. He's going to retire in the next couple – Giselle is going to make him retire over the next couple of years. Oh, I, no, I think he's going to be 52, and he's still going to be playing quarterback, and he'll still win the AFC title game. Yeah, and like, you're at 42. Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, and also – I've also kept like two of the Patriots this year was that they kind of took their foot off the gas and, like, we're just trying to get to the playoffs and now – and get, like, a first-round bye, and now they're here. And, like, oh, they're just – they're the worst. They're the worst. Um, I can't believe we're doing it again. I really can't. I thought this was this is finally gonna be the end of it, but it doesn't matter. My last question for you, though, about this game is: Phil is Phil Rivers a loser? No, because I don't think this was on him. I mean, if it's one thing, if he went all Nathan Peterman and threw four picks in the first half, and I think it's it's on him. But what Phil Philip Rivers, I think, is 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 does not get enough credit as being a really freaking tough dude, and he's been a really tough dude his entire career. And the way – how many hits he took on uh, during that game. And, um, uh, I mean, he looked like – he was going all Byron Leftwich almost at the end of that game. He stayed in. He played as well as he could. He had no time to throw. He had a guy in his face. He was doing everything he could to get the ball downfield. So, I got nothing but mad props for Phillip Rivers. Yeah, I, I wouldn't put this blame on him. This blame was more on the coaching staff if I had picked somebody. Also – like, they just were out hit, too. They weren't ready for this game. And I think there actually is something now to a West Coast team playing the 12 o'clock game on the East Coast. The game's usually at 10 o'clock in the morning. And you'd think they would kind of like just move their clocks two hours ahead as they prepare for the week to be better, better prepared for this game. But it didn't happen. It does suck that, like, Rivers has been as fun to watch throughout his career and not have, like, a signature win at all. Uh, the farthest he made was the AFC title game, which he made you know, his third year, and they lost to New England that game. Um, or that was his, his fourth year in the league, his second year starting, they lost to New England, where the torn ACL and still played. His last postseason appearance was with Mike McCoy as the head coach, and they lost to the uh, Broncos in the wild card round. And that was a game where Mike McCoy wouldn't let Phil Rivers to the ball downfield. Everything was quick passing, everything was short. And they lost like a 13-7 game, a 13-10 game that they hunted and won just because of how concerned McCoy was didn't allow that to happen. And, you know, now he, he may go coaching Jackson to see what happens there. But, yeah, it's a, it's unfortunate. I wanted a great Philip Rivers ending, and uh, it's probably never going to happen. No. <laughs> no argument here. Yeah, some things just, just never happen. It's okay. Well, we're going to take a quick break, and we'll be right back, and we're going to talk about the end of scene. And we're back. So Saturday night, there are other people out there, you know, living their lives. They were with loved ones. They were uh, out in the town. They were taking in the culture that their city has available to them. Or maybe they're out camping and staring at the stars, those sorts of things. Uh, I was not. You probably weren't either. We were probably watching the Dallas Cowboys and the Los Angeles Rams. Again, the Rams won 30-22. So the Cowboys had the fifth best run defense by DVA this year. The Rams had the best run offense by DVA this year. Uh, so let's see who, who won this matchup. Well, the Cowboys gave up 6.1 yards of carry in this one, and they had over 200 rushing yards. Both C.J. Anderson and Todd Gurley had over 100 yards on the ground this game. Uh, was that the most surprising part of this weekend, the Dallas Cowboys' run defense being as bad as it was? 
excuse me, sorry about coughing in the mic. Um, no, I'll just say that flat out. I, I had the feeling, look, I know the DVO and A numbers say something different. That they, that they have them ranked 19th. So they're not even elite, but you know, all the bragging about their, their run defense and nobody can run on Sean Lee and Lee Vander Ash and uh, Demarcus Lawrence and they just can't be done. Well, teams are doing it all freaking year. They're only 19th by DVO. That's certainly not a lead. I mean, they're they're fifth in run defense DVOA. They're 19th because they're pass defense. No, they're 19th in rush. Oh, I'm looking uh, at offense. Oh, my bad. I'm sorry. Yeah. yeah, my bad. So little, what little do I know? And their um, and their run defense, you know, only gave up 2.3 yards to carry to the Seahawks the week before, and the Seahawks had you know a, a top seven run offense this year too. Look, I don't need your logic in this conversation. So anyway, I just hate the Cowboys. Screw them. I think they're overrated all season. <laughs> that's better. <laughs> We're just gonna go pure emotion on that. Yeah, that's no, I, I I wasn't surprised. I mean, look at if you look at the Rams' offensive line, you got five guys who are total veterans, and then you got Todd Gurley and C.J. Anderson, who all the C.J. Anderson is it me or does he look like a bowling ball in that uniform? Anyway, yeah, he's a big blue belly. Yeah. So, anyways. Screw the Cowboys, go Rams, hooray. Yeah, I, I was I was surprised because I did like the Dallas defense this year. I even felt like their pass defense was, was underrated. And then they got a lot better as the year went on, like, especially the younger – I know Byron Jones dropped off, but, like, Awuzio got better playing the ball. Uh, same thing with their other quarterbacks. Like, it was more of a group effort, too, where they did get they, – they did attack the ball pretty well in the air, and they kind of had some issues in main coverage. But – I mean, the Rams offensive line, that was the best performance I've seen from offensive line this season. The way they moved the first level was unbelievable. And the way they blocked the second level was, you know, even better. Because the Cowboys do have, you know, I know Sean Lee, he knows where he's going, but he's limited athletically. But Jalen Smith got blocked a bunch. Uh, Van Der Esch got blocked a bunch. Like, C.J. Anderson, I know he, he had, like, five yards to carry or whatever. But, I mean, he was running seven yards untouched. But there wasn't a lot for him to do. Todd Gurley had that one really big cutback, and he was able to break some stuff outside with some vision. But neither of those guys had to do a whole lot. Their offensive line dominated this game. They controlled the ground. And they were the reason why the Rams should have won this football game. Sorry, I've got barking dogs in the background, so hopefully you can't hear them. I don't even know if they're not. My dogs are not. Anyway, um, yeah, I'm just going to go with what you said. It's, I, you know, I um, – uh, was distracted during this game. I wasn't able to watch this one with my usual focus because my son was doing a science team thing. And so um, uh, I'm just going to go say what Matt said. Thank you. Right. You're welcome. All right. So I have a Dak Prescott question for you then. Do okay. you think, do you think he has another level to him and the scheme is holding him back or is he just a, a really good game manager? He is. I think he is the ultimate in the physical game manager category. I don't think you ask him to make a lot of throws because he's not going to be able to make them. And when they ask him to win games, they usually don't. Uh, to me, he's like a he's like a poor man's Tony Romo. Interesting. Yeah, I felt watching this game, this game kind of reminded me of the way Jacksonville used Blake Bortles in the AFC Tal game last year, where they Blake Bortles didn't lose that game for Jacksonville but they wouldn't let Blake Burles be the reason why they lost that game for him. And so I kind of feel the same way with Prescott this game where the, the run game was terrible for uh, Dallas. 
Elliott averaged on only, I think, 2.3 yards a carry. And Dominica Sue is impossible to block on the inside. Looney had a, had a rough game by trying to reach him and move him. And you have Connor Williams on your other side. Like, every run fights the right uh, is going to be trouble for, for Dallas and was this game. And so it felt like they needed Dak Prescott to win this game for him. And they just didn't really give him the opportunity to do so. Uh, you know, he missed some throws that were there. But he didn't throw downfield as much as he probably could have and should have. Also, all those sort of zone replays that they should be running, they still haven't run. I feel like Dak Prescott can be kind of used how Cam Newton was used in Carolina before he got hurt, where you can run a ton, a ton of power plays, a ton of draws, a ton of zone reads, and then run play action and stuff off of them. Because Prescott, you know, one, he's really fast, and two, I mean, he's he's a tank. Like, he has the build to be able to take a bunch of hits also. They just didn't really love him doing so. I don't know. Like I, I feel weird about Prescott, where I think he's probably like you know the the 19th best quarterback in football. I think he'd be better than that, but I just don't think Dallas has given the opportunity to do so. Yeah, and I, I don't even know about that because I, you know, if you look at what Cam Newton does, Cam Newton's able to do has that unique, special arm talent, and Dak Prescott does not have that. And well, I just mean, I just mean scheme wise. The scheme, the scheme. Yeah, Purely yeah. like say how you use him as a runner. I don't think he make the throws Cam can make. But then they can use them similarly and have a lot of success doing so. Yeah, and I then you start talking about to me is he's just so limited with the arm talent that he does not have. I mean, there was a reason he, I think it was what a fifth round pick. I think it was a third round pick. Was it okay? So I, you know, he was not a first round guy. I think he's a guy who's just found success because he has success in the run game. But I think otherwise, he is still the nineteenth, twentieth best best QB in the NFL, and I don't think he gets any better. Yeah. Um, yeah, I can see that. It's interesting to see what they do this year. Uh, I, do, I do think he could be a little bit better than he is to give him more control and let him do more than what he does. But uh, it's been weird to see what makes him so good, I guess, in ways that he only costs $700,000. Whenever he costs, you know, potentially $12 million or however much Dallas gives him what's going to happen this offseason, uh, that's going to be kind of a big question for them moving forward. The, the other thing I really liked about this game, I didn't like a whole lot about it. It was just kind of like Jared got through and play action being okay. And if his, you know, first two reads are open, he's good. If his third read isn't open, he's bad. And then as the Rams run, run the ball a lot and the Rams offense line being really good, the Cowboys not run the ball well. And then Dak Prescott, you know, not doing enough to kind of carry them. And, but the other thing I really, one thing I really enjoyed though was watching Tyron Smith, mainly because of the way he looks right now. So Tyron Smith, he has a neck roll. All of his fingers are taped. He has an enormous face mask and an elbow brace. He's like a mech out there. I don't know if you remember this game on Xbox One called like Mech Assault or whatever. But that's what he looks like. He looks like a mech out there. I uh, said, so what's your favorite football aesthetic? I'm, in, like, I'm talking about things like, you know, Nick Foles's uh, What Would Jesus Do bracelet, Alvin Kamara's septum piercing, uh, DeAndre uh, Keenan Allen's you know, hoodie. What's your favorite football player aesthetic? I, the middle linebacker neck roll. I don't care who does it. It's the middle linebacker neck roll. It's my favorite. Yeah. I always say whenever I see one of those, it's, it's just dripping with CTE. Like Van Der Esch's is. I like the fullback neck roll too. And Mike Dabble has a really good one also. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Zach Pros- or Dak Prescott was a fourth rounder. No, oh, Okay. Right in the middle. Right in the middle. And he's been okay. I mean, look at his career. Set. He's been fine. He's got – uh, 96 QB rating. He's fine, but his high in yards is 38.85 this year. 
4.5% touchdown percentage. You know, I don't know. The guy's just is just like mediocre with legs. And yeah, and yeah, I think they can use his legs more. They can do more with his legs, and I think that will make everything a lot better for him too. He's a cowboy. Screw him. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny because the the show the previous show we do on Thursday, my friend's a Cowboys fan. That turns from you know, screw the Cowboys. I hate him on Tuesday too. You know, uh, you know, a bunch of Cowboy talk on uh, Thursday. I will say this about the Cowboys. This is probably my favorite Cowboys team I've watched since, I don't know, since ever. Just because I didn't do watching their front seven. Like Randy Gregory is a windmill that Don Quixote tried to fight. Uh, Demarcus Lawrence is one of the you know, five best defensive ends around. The run defense is a lot of fun. I tell their cornerbacks to attach the ball. And, like, you know, Ezekiel Elliott, you know, being chubbies, you know, still kind of fun in that way, too. Like, as much as a drag their offense is, they were able to do just enough. But I didn't enjoy watching their defense majority this year. They suck. Yeah. All right. So they we're going to take one last BFD. break. <laughs> <laughs> we got it. So we're going to take one last break, and when we come back, we'll talk about the last and it, uh, NFC playoff game. And we're back. So we almost had one great game and ended up being just, you know, pretty good or really good because Alshon Jeffrey dropped a, dropped a pass and went through his hands, and Marshawn Lattimore was right behind him, lucky, lucky enough to intercept it and ending a game that they won 20-14. to 14. So what was going on through your uh, beautiful mind when the Eagles went 14-0 against the New Orleans Saints? I was shocked. I mean, I was absolutely shocked. I thought this is another thick, thick, Nick Foles miracle game. Like, you know, I'm not, I can't say, cause you know, we don't cuss on the show anymore, but what, what Brett likes to call him, which is big rhymes with Nick, Nick. And yeah, that's like, but that's also like a meme that's all throughout football, you know, like everybody yeah, that's true. That. and the that's Eagles true. are calling him that last year as well too, during their playoff run. That's true. I was giving credit to Brett. Thank you. But anyway, uh, I just thought it was going to be another game. Like, like, how the heck does Nick Foles pull another one off? And how in the heck are the Eagles shutting out the Saints? And then we had a fake punt. Yeah. Yeah, it was a pretty great fake punt, too. Like, I'm, my, my dream for the Super Bowl is that Taysom Hill wins the Super Bowl MVP. He has, like, <laughs> a, block, like a punt block, a touchdown throw, a running throw, and maybe somehow, like, a fumble recovery all in one game. And he could, because he plays, uh, he's a gunner on special teams, so that's possible. Mm-hmm. Oh, he no, blocked, he's, a, he's a blocker. He, 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 no, he blocked a punt this year, even. Wow, I didn't know that. Yeah, he's done a little bit of everything. Yeah, like, whenever the Eagles went uh, 14-0, I was like, this can't really be, I guess this is happening. Like, I was, throughout the entire postseason, in the regular season, so this can't be happening again. Like, it really can't be. Last year, Foles had two really good games four pretty bad games and was able to turn into a Super Bowl MVP trophy and a Super Bowl, and a Super Bowl win for Philadelphia. And then whenever they went 14-0, I was like, well, I guess I guess this is it. I guess this is happening now. And then, like you mentioned, the fake punt happened. The Saints had that really uh, really long drive as well, too. And they just decided, hey, uh, you know, as good as you know, uh, LeBlanc has been, as good as Max has been out nowhere lately, they still can't cover Michael Thomas. So we're just going to throw him the ball a lot. And he had 170 receiving yards in this game. He had 12 catches on 15 targets and was completely uncoverable, uh, too. So who do you think is better, Michael Thomas or DeAndre Hopkins? Oh, my God. I, I don't know if – Thomas is not quite in Hopkins' territory yet, but we may have to revisit that next year. The dude is special. 
Yeah, I would still say Hopkins is the most skillful. But Thomas is for sure in that, like, elite group along with, you know, Julio and A.B. Now you can probably put Smith Schuster there. But he gets a lot of, like, uh, single matchups because of Antonio Brown. And I put Keenan Allen in there as well, too. But I put Michael Thomas as one of the elite receivers out there. Yeah, so just quickly, because I when I saw his numbers, they're kind of a bit – Weird. I don't know if that's really the right way to put it. But he had 125 receptions, 1,405 yards, nine touchdowns. So he does a lot of short area damage. He doesn't really stretch the field, but that's fine because he's he's just a monster. He wrecks teams. How do you you can't cover him? And he's six three. He's long and he's lengthy. On top of that, he's got a huge catch radius. He's a lot of fun to watch. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and like the Eagles were just playing 70 yards off of him, and they kept getting flipped around their breaks. He did a really good job, too, at making his cuts right after the first level of the zone coverage when they were in zone. And then he just ran, like, a bunch of inside inside, uh, inside routes with inside cuts. They were, like, drags and digs and posts and sorts of things. And, you know, no, nobody could cover them. They couldn't do anything at all about him at, at all. And it's funny, too, because it was, like, every, like, third and 13, it's like, oh, yeah, they're just going to throw to Michael Thomas. Third <laughs> and 16, oh, yeah, they're just going to throw Michael Thomas. And uh, it worked really well. And, yeah, he was unbelievable in this one. Yeah, that he was a lot of fun to watch, uh, and yeah, so, I don't know. I could brag about this guy for a long time. So let's move on. <laughs> the The weirdest thing about this game for the Saints was Sean Payton's commitment to the run game. Uh, the Saints have a really great offensive line, but Andrews P was dealing with a broken hand, and he really uh, struggled in school, against bull rushes in this game, and it just wasn't working. Timmy Jernigan was a monster on the inside. I saw with Saloni Nada. This is probably the best game he's had as the Eagle or they couldn't move him off the line of scrimmage stall either. And yet, there they were, uh, Mark Ingram, Alvin Kamara, just around the ball up the middle over and over and over again. And they were getting two yards, three yards, and those sorts of things. Uh, so what, did Bill O'Brien call Sean Payton? Why does Sean Payton have such a commitment to the interior run game like he did? <laughs> I, I have to t- say that I had four different people email or text me and ask, is Bill O'Brien calling the offense for the Saints this game? I was, I was just in tears at a point because it was like all of a sudden I got like, and it was three or four of them I got like in a bundle is after I think their second drive because it looked so Bill O'Brien-esque. Let's send guys up the middle and see what happens. Oh, that didn't work. Hey, let's send them up the middle. Oh, that didn't work. Let's send them up the middle. Really? It's not working? It was hilarious and like a a dead clown sort of way. It was pathetic. It was terrible. I don't know what hell would happen to, to Sean Payton this game. Yeah, it really didn't make any sense to all of me because, you, again, you have Drew Brees, who's incredible. It's not like the Eagles' pass rush was overwhelming. And Michael Thomas is uncoverable. And the, the weak part of the, of the Eagles' defense this year have been their secondary. Turn from horrendous to incompetence. They're pretty all right, but they're still uh, matchups they take advantage of. And then even then their linebacker plays isn't that good. Nigel Brown had a really bad game. They like to sit and dime a lot. Uh, you know, Matthews is fine too or whatever. But you know, overall, like the, when the run game's not working against a defensive line, like throwing the ball is up the run is a better way to do it than trying to do it the other way around. Yeah, and do you get the feeling that because the first play of the game was an interception by LeBlanc, it was a great play, but I had the feeling that Sean Payton was scared to lose that game, and that's why he was so conservative to start it off. Thoughts? Uh, yeah, maybe in a way. I don't know. It was still like a deep punt, though. And I know Drew Brees had another bad underthrow uh, to Taysom Hill, or Taysom Hill should have caught a touchdown pass. 
And then he came back and then threw a touchdown pass that was in the game because of a holding penalty, uh, which was really upsetting. I was I loved that uh, that pass he threw to Alvin Kamara. But nobody covers him. He's in the slot. Everybody looks the other way. It ended up working too. But I don't know. I think it was more more the fact that like they're kind of they're a team that does that attacks defenses a lot of different ways. They have a ton of different skill players. And the runs involve part of their offense too. I think it's just kind of like how Sean Payton calls games that he's going to run the ball. He has a he commits to the run game, and the run game is a big reason why their offense was as good as it was this year. But I just don't understand why coaches stick with something that isn't working all whatsoever, and probably isn't going to based off the matchups that they have available to them. Thank you, thank you for that great segue. The matchup available to you: Fletcher Cox, Haluti Ngata, uh, Chris Long, Michael Bennett, Jordan Hicks is back and healthy and balling for them. Look, they're, they're, the strength of that team is like the front four and Jordan Hicks. And the rest of the team's kind of trashy, and I'm still going to trash them. I know you've been saying, oh, they've been great against the pass. And they have, but they're still bad. They just haven't been exploited. But why are you going right to They've been better. They've gone from horrendous to, you know, pretty good, which is like a bit, an enormous thing that they've gone from compared to where they were like in week 10, you know. Never said they were great. And never said they were great. But, I mean, why, why run into the teeth of that defense? Why are you sending anybody directly at Fletcher Cox? Why would you do that? I mean, it's so stupid. You go over those guys, not through them. Yeah, yeah, that was weird. And also the injuries are really sad in this game because Cox, you know, his foot was bothering him. Uh, Brandon Brooks tore his Achilles, which, you know, I mean, which is really sad. He didn't have that good of a game to start because I pretty much watch him the majority of the time the Eagles have the ball. Uh, but he'll he'll probably hopefully he'll be back next year. And one of the good things about being an offensive lineman is that your Achilles is sent forward it compared to you know, being a wide receiver like Demarius Thomas too. But yeah, the injuries were a bummer in this one. Yeah, the the, the Brandon Brooks one because I, I sent the listserv an email and I saw that I was just heartbroken because that dude he's a he's a a great unsung player. He's yeah makes me sad. Yeah, and also Sheldon Rankin uh, got hurt oh, from yeah. New Orleans and he's a great interior pass rusher. And uh, he, had, he had nine sacks this year. And it was like, this is, this is his third year. It is the first, like, actually great year he had, too. And uh, so maybe, who knows if he'll play against Los Angeles next weekend. But that's something to keep an eye out for, too. Rankin, Rankin's out for the year. Uh, so what was the best throw you saw? Oh, it really is? That's yeah, because I thought it was, I thought he was, guys, yeah, tore his ACL. He's done. Really? Mm-hmm. I thought it was an ankle, I, maybe. But... Achilles, I'm sorry. Achilles tendon. Him, too? Yeah. So I guess Brooks and him both were their Achilles. Uh, What was the best throw you saw this weekend? It's it's quaint, it's cliche, but I think the Nick Foles to Jordan Matthews touchdown is beautiful. I thought that's like the throw when you're when you're playing Madden and you say, "I wish I could put the ball there," as you're getting ready to hit the button, and but you only just can hit the button; it can only go a certain place. Now they have the controls, I know, so it's different. That was that throw. You threw the guy wide open. It was, again, cliched, but I thought that was gorgeous. Oh, yeah, it was perfect. And that was by far the best throw this weekend. And also, it was the defender in his face. It was like a sidearm, like flick. Uh, the release was awesome on it, and he just put the ball in the perfect spot. And, uh, and when he made that throw, it was like, yeah, I, I, I was like, for sure. All right, well, I guess this is what's going to happen. And thankfully it didn't because, like I said before, reality is as confusing enough as it is that we're just on this planet in a bunch of nothingness, that we have these thoughts that are trapped in the brain, they're trapped in the skull, they're trapped in this body, and uh, and nothing really makes any sense at all. And for Nick Foles to do this all over again, 
I probably have to leave and, and go away forever. So fortunately, in a way, it didn't happen. The only thing I am bummed about with the Eagles losing is the ski mask season thing is so cool. We have the entire defensive line wear a ski mask on the sideline. Uh, even better than the dog mask last year is the ski mask season. Uh, but and like the Eagles are also just like a really group. Like they're in, they're a group of like interesting players. They're all like eclectic. I really like their football culture too. It seems like your brother team really likes each other and cares about each other as well. And so you know, last year was a lot of fun. Uh, and I'm going to see a little bit more of it this year. But the way it works out, it works out. And I, the one thing that I am bummed out with this game is just because Jeffrey dropped that pass where he catches that pass all the time, and that kind of, that was the reason why they ended up losing this game. I, I felt like we were in the mix for like an all-time great ending. Just kind of short by that Jeffrey drop. Yes, and it was funny because my wife like you know buzzed me with like two minutes left, said I'm ready to go for my walk, and I'm like oh, fine. And so I taped that, and I like when I, it was funny because on the walk I heard all of a sudden I heard somebody go. Wow! And I knew they're watching the football. I mean, I know they're watching the damn game, right? And so, so we're walking in the neighborhood, but I promised her I'd go. And so I came back and I put it on. I was like, "Well, I'll be damned." That's that first whoop. And then I heard a second whoop a little bit later, which I should have mentioned. And that was the when the game was over. So it was the touchdown was the first whoop, and I, or the interception. I'm sorry. And I was like, "Damn, what a way to lose! Really, what a yeah. way to lose!" Yeah, yeah, that's the way football goes sometimes. So I'm contractually obligated to ask this by the content gods. So Nick Foles or Carson Wentz for the Eagles in 2019? Carson Wentz. Let's just not even beat around the proverbial bush. It's He's got the arm talent. He's got the leg talent. You know, he's been hurt. I, to me, that's not even a question. You get Nick Foles as your backup. He's a fine backup, but and he has some magic in the playoffs. But no, Carson Wentz. Well, I think Foles is a free agent this year now, so he'll sign somewhere else. Uh, Wentz is also Wentz. You know, Wentz is only three years younger than Foles. So Wentz is, yeah. Wentz is twenty six and Foles is twenty nine because Wentz, you know, I think he, I think he played his senior year in South Dakota, and uh, say the fall four years too. I, you know, I, I mean, Foles has played better than Wentz has. The, but the you know, if you include from the postseason on, he's played better than him. He didn't play as well as him during the regular season last year. Wentz just threw his touchdown passes and. You were coming from the ACL takes some time. We saw it kind of happen to Sean Watson this year too. Uh, I would I would stick with Wentz mainly because he's younger and he's cheaper than let's say having to pay Nick Foles, you know, fifteen million dollars or something insane like that. And also, there's still that regression factor there with Foles where there's no way he can be this good uh, forever or you know for very much longer. As magical as he is, there's still something weird about it that uh, I feel like Wentz is kind of more sure just because of his talent, his draft position, those sorts of things. You know what? I wouldn't normally say this about a guy. I've, I've long said that, you know, it's, uh, football players should go out and get as much freaking money as they need every year, every contract. If I'm Nick Foles, though, and I'm, uh, I'm going to play behind Carson Wentz, potentially, I would say, look, I'm going to sign four years at $4 million a year or make X amount of it guaranteed, probably like all four, $16 million in a deal like that. And let me sit behind Carson once, and I'm your backup. And I'm, that's what I would do if I was Nick Foles. And I would just say, look, this is a great situation for me. I can help my buddy out. Um, I'm a freaking rock star in Philly. I would stay there. Hmm. I mean, like, he's going to start somewhere next year, though, if he leaves. You think so? Yeah, for sure. Really? Yeah. He's going to start somewhere <laughs> next year if he leaves. I don't think I – like, for who? I mean, uh, we won't know yet, but we'll we'll find out once more cuts are made and you know, kind of trades are made. This is also a really weak draft class too. 
And That's so it's going to be interesting to see what teams with like expensive free agents. But the the Dolphins want Ryan Tannehill, for example. I'm sure they'd rather have Nick Foles and Ryan Tannehill and things like that. And uh, especially teams with new coaches have to win now too. Yeah, I, I don't think I would. I don't think I would make that swap. I don't know. Yeah, uh, it's be, it's be interesting to see because Foles did have that year where he had that 27 to touchdown ratio. Now I believe that was the year the Eagles beat the Texans in. Uh, 2015, uh, where they, they won that, like, week 10 game or whatever. So he's had one really great year before. He had one really great postseason. And he played well, you know, whenever he came, uh, took place for Wentz as well, too, this year. And I, I think he's better than Wentz right now at seeing the field. He distributes the ball better. Whereas, you know, Wentz this year is a lot of crossing routes with Zach Ertz and not a lot of sideline throwing and the ball to Jeffrey and those sorts of things. And I think Foles has done a better job just throwing the ball to everybody and seeing the game. And that's also kind of like a, a difference in age and me back and be able to watch a lot, you know. Yeah, and here's a trivia question for you that I'm giving away the answer just even asking it. Who's older, Nick Foles or Ryan Tannehill? I would say they're the same age. They're, Tann- I think, Tannehill's a year older. Jeez, he's 30? Yeah. It's unbelievable. Yeah. I, I, yeah, I was making that joke that you know, Ryan Tannehill is going to be an interesting quarterback prospect even when he's 33 years old. And we're pretty much already there. We're and Mary, there. <laughs> and Mary, Mary Oda is also the guy. He's going to be an interesting quarterback prospect until he's 33 years old, too. Yeah, I'm kind of looking. What if, what if, what if, since we're playing kind of hypotheticals here, Nick Foles winds up in Jacksonville? <laughs> it'd be fine. It'd be fine with me. I mean, I think it work out all right. Uh, I want to see Bridgewater and Jacksonville, though, for sure. This one, I want Gary Kubiak. I wish Kubiak could be the onside coordinator in Tennessee with Mariota. And I want Bridgewater to go to Jacksonville and just make the AFC South just a dreamland for me. Everything I've ever wanted. Oh, my God. Yeah, we'd never be able to do the show about the Texans anymore. Oh, yeah. I would, I would quit Bell Red Blog and start my own AFC South side on my own and write purely for myself and not for anybody else. As if I don't oh, do wait. that enough anyways right now. You're supposed to write for other people? No, I only, I only write for myself. I'm a spoiled brat. So, anyways, do you have any big thoughts or early picks for this weekend as we head into the championship round? Oh, yes. I I, I have a couple, and I'll be quick because we've had a long show tonight. I, I think that if, if Sean Payton comes out and does his Bill O'Brien impression again, I don't think New Orleans stands a chance. And I, I think that, you know, the Rams' defense has been kind of erratic. But I think running the ball at them like that is going to be a really bad idea, James. So I, I, if, if, if it's running Kamara and Ingram up the middle, I'm going to take the Rams by a couple scores. Matt? Uh, the one – I wouldn't touch that AFC game at all. Like, I really don't have any opinions on it other than, you know, Mahomes and the Chiefs offense has been as good as it was. But there's still all those anti-redeemons. There's the fact that the Patriots are so good at game planning and scheming even their defense doesn't have any great players on it. Like, I guess Gilmore is their best defensive player, and he's maybe the eighth-best cornerback around. I still think he's simply going to be downfield and those sorts of things. But they're all, like, they're all pretty good about their defense, and they're not necessarily a match for Kansas City's offense. But I don't know. There's just that witchcraft there in New England. And really the only big thought I have as of right now is I'm the opposite of you. I think the Saints are going to beat the Rams uh, pretty easily, mainly because the Saints' offense, they, they – well, I guess the one question is Andrews Pete's hand isn't working very well, and they did give up interior pressure Fletcher Cox. 
But their first matchup, the Saints were so good at blocking the interior. They're able to do whatever they want because that's the entire source of the Rams' pressure from the interior. And it keeps the league still doesn't look fully right. Uh, Marcus Pierce is going to make big plays, but consistently he can get beat during a game. And then, you know, with the, with the fact that they have a great run defense that they have and the Rams' offense is built around the run, uh, you know, last week the Rams ran all over a good run defense. They'll have to do the same thing as the Saints, too, because Jared Goff is definitely a play action. You know, needs his first or second read open, see him throw a quarterback. And if you're forcing him to make his third and fourth read and make you know, great plays, uh, that's not a situation with being two for Los Angeles. So I don't know. I feel the opposite of you. I feel really strongly that the Saints are going to beat the Rams. And the AFC, I don't, I don't feel anything at all. It's just witchcraft and, and hobgoblins and pet cemeteries out there. Oh, man. It's, all I hope for is that we see some good football this weekend, and I think we're going to get it. And yeah, I really, yeah, no, no more. You know, the Colts are out. I don't have to watch that trash anymore. The Cowboys are out. I don't have to watch that trash anymore. So I'm, I'm ready for some good football. Yeah, good football, good times, good friends. Woo, yeah, that's what we want. Beer, give, and beer. You forgot about beer. Yeah, well, I'm not. I can't I'm drink not. beer anymore, so there you go. Yeah, and I'm not drinking until probably like May or so as well, too. I'm trying to get down to like 155 pounds. What, are you going to be a rail for Halloween? I don't know. I'm going I'm to be a flagpole? Uh, no, I don't, I don't look like one of the members of like an indie rock band. that just wear like really big shirts that, and nothing fits them at all. <laughs> oh I'm going to become a member of Deer Hunter. That's the plan. And just remember, guys, for, or y'all, for, you know, Big Matt's like 6'9 or something crazy like that. Don't six, correct me. Six, Don't correct six, me. Six, Don't correct me. 6'9. <laughs> if I was 6'9, I would, I would be, I'd be in the freak show if I was 6'9. Six six, <laughs> so if he's 6'9, 155, yeah. Anyway. Yeah, well, luckily that's not going to happen. But I'll just be 6'6, six, six, 155, which is, which is reasonable. So, anyways, thank you for listening to the show, everybody. Thank you for the question, uh, Shinzon. We'll be back on uh, Friday to preview the, the conference championship games. And uh, next week, we'll, we'll be talking to BFD again to review the conference style games. The show will come out on Monday because I, I have some stuff to take care of during the week. And then I don't know what we're going to do the schedule after that, but we'll be back on Friday and Monday for sure. So, so hit the subscribe button, put on your calendar, uh, tell your friends, tell your family, tell your worst enemies, especially because. Uh, they're the ones you really need to listen to this heritage show that we do every week. But anyways, thank you for being on tonight, BFD. My name is Matt West, and thank you for listening to Red Radio. Woo! Woo! <laughs>